It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Panther Puri, the podcast where we're supposed to talk Panthers hockey, but sometimes we don't. Here are your hosts, Alex Lopez, Jake Langsam, and TJ Peterson. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Panther Puri. I'm your host, Jacob Langsam. Here with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Alex Lopez and TJ Peterson. And joining us today, very, very special guest, friend of the show, been on before, former AHL coach, NHL analyst, current consultant to players all around the world, Mr. Jack Han. Jack, how are you doing today? Excellent, fellas. Uh, how does it feel to be a Panthers fan these days? Not great, Mike. Not yeah, great but... at all. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that. We wanted to thank you, first of all, for taking uh, taking uh, a minute to step away from watching Connor Bedard uh, to talk to us. <laughs> Bedard is currently in the process of dominating uh, the World Juniors. The finals are on right now, I believe. Uh, Canada's up 2 nothing, I believe. Uh, and the Panthers do not have a shot at drafting Connor Bedard. Uh, Jack, in your expert opinion, uh, tactically speaking, what is wrong with the Panthers? Because we can't figure it out. So um, I think it's actually Jesse Marshall who, who who wrote a tweet about it recently. He, just, he said the problem with the Panthers is that they, they play too many defensemen who can't skate. I think that's what he said. And, and I tend to agree with him for the most part. Um, you know, I did a bit of research before coming on here. I, I looked at Corey Schneider's uh, hand track transition stats. And, you know, if you look at just the, the shots for and against, this year's Panthers look a lot like last year's Panthers. Yeah. Um, but then if you look at the goals for and against, and the wins and losses, they, they don't look like last year's Panthers. And, so and for me, the biggest difference is just on the back end they're just not as good um you know the the kachuk trade uh i think you know obviously kachuk is one of the best forwards in the game but then losing mackenzie Weger, who i felt like was their best all-around defenseman um for some reason thinking that mark stall could be a second pair d um you know i i think josh mahura has been really good found money but again he's not really the next Devon Taves, as as far as I can see, you know, he, he's a nice, he's a nice maybe fifth, fourth defenseman, but um, maybe not a top pair of guy. 
so you put all those things together and, and it's just basically you're asking for the fours to do a lot of the heavy lifting in transition. Um, the D's, they do take a lot of chances, but when those chances don't pay off, they can't recover quite as well. Yeah. Uh, when they take shots, their lower percentage shots that really maybe aren't worth the risk and reward. So I, I've actually been surprised like with how much offense they have been able to create um, because you know, I've always thought of Paul Maurice as more of a conservative coach. So maybe my, my first instinct was he would be dialing back a lot of this team's tendency to pinch or to get four players in the rush or to, you know, shoot from every, everywhere. And um, that hasn't happened, but certainly the results haven't been great. So, so it, I mean, they're like the Panthers are more or less where I expected them to be the, I think, you know, what we talked about maybe the last time I was, I was on, um, maybe like a like a low playoff seed or a bubble playoff team, and and you know maybe now they're even a little bit worse than that. But the way that they've gotten there, I think, is a little bit surprising to me. And I kind of want to follow up on that because I know early on, in, uh, after the Paul Maurice move was made, you wrote a pretty long article on all the things the the changes you expected Maurice to make to the pant with the Panthers and why they weren't going to work out. How uh, and I know you just touched on it, but if you could go into detail and tell us what specifically have you seen the Panthers change that, in your opinion, isn't working, or is it simply just you know uh, Mackenzie Weger, who was you know their leading transition guy last year, he's gone. Um, Aaron Eckblad's clearly playing with a with with still a hurt groin and his speed. Not that he was ever fast, but he's now one of the slowest players in the NHL. He's not working out. And then you've got Mark Stahl, who's just not a good NHL player at 35 years old anymore. Is that the problem? Or are there tactical issues that have changed that you disagree with? So um, I would say that I, I've been wrong on most of the, the Panthers-related predictions in terms of how they were going to play this year. I thought that they were going to be much more of kind of an average NHL team in terms of how aggressive they were going to be off the rush and how much they activated their players instead of being still one of the most aggressive teams in the league. So, so it seems like they've kind of stuck with that plan that, that worked really well last year, except now if you look at their decor, they just don't really have the players to play that style and have it work out. It's almost like, you know, if you, if you're in a poker game and, and, and I, I like to use poker examples because uh, you know, I, I like to play the game and I think it, it applies uh, to this situation, but you know, you can go into a hand if you have pocket Kings or pocket aces, you can raise and re-raise and know that you're probably still ahead. Um, but if you have, you know, two, seven offsuit or Jack eight offsuit, you, you shouldn't be that aggressive. Right. Or at least if you are in the long term, it's not going to pay off for you because you just don't have it. So when I watch the Panthers this year, you know, in, in, in certain situations, let's say if they're playing Montreal, you know, they win 7-2, well, they're a better team. But then if they go up against the team that, you know, is a little bit more skilled, a little bit more organized, um, on some nights, if you don't have it and yet you still continue to press, uh, bad things are going to happen for you. Yeah, that, that all makes sense. And a lot has been made of some sort of organizational shift, like a, a mindset change after what happened in last year's playoffs. And I think that it's important to frame 
what happened in last year's playoffs, you know, as a part of analyzing what's going on currently, because, you know, there's unhappiness with changes that have been made to what was a president's trophy winning team, but there, you know, ostensibly was a reason behind it. And that reason behind it was that the playoff performance was seen by many as unacceptable and not just from the players, but from the coaching staff. And it received a lot of criticism for a failure to adapt, a failure to, you know, play a system that would be successful in the playoffs, play a system that would be successful against the way the Tampa Bay Lightning play in the playoffs. And I just wanted to make sure that this all you know, made sense to you. Would you say that you agree with the general consensus about the way the Panthers managed the the postseason that it 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 didn't really work? And do you understand why they maybe made a change to what was a very successful team last year? So it's maybe it's a pro sports thing, but I I find it to be a very NHL thing where a lot of teams. You know, they'll do well, but then they'll lose playing a certain way. And then immediately they want to go and play the opposite way. Right. So I think it, it, it all goes back to the trade deadline when, you know, they traded that first uh, first round pick for Ben Chirot because they Oof. wanted to get big, a bit heavier, a bit bigger, a bit meaner on the back end. Then they go into the playoffs and, um, you know, it, w- it was it was a tough first round against Washington who really slowed things down and claw things up and didn't allow Florida to play the way they like to play throughout the regular season. And then Tampa knocked them out right after. Correct. So, so then um, what happens in the off season? Well, there's a coaching change. Then you bring in perhaps more players who are, you know, big, tough, experienced, you know, Mark Stahl, et cetera, um, making that move for uh, Matthew Kachuk. So, um, like in my opinion, basically it, it it's like when NHL teams change coaches, they tend to go for a guy that's kind of the polar opposite of the last guy. And, and I think it, it kind of encapsulates that change in mentality and, and, you know, obviously hindsight is 2020, but it seems like it hasn't really worked out. Whereas if you look at teams such as Pittsburgh, where, you know, around 2013, 14, there were talks of blowing it up. And they didn't, and they won two more cups. Washington, you know, they lost in 2010, and then uh, couldn't get over the hump, and and still kind of you know ran it back, and eventually they got a cup. Or Tampa, they go out first round against um, Columbus in what was it, 2018 or yeah. or 19, um, and then they run it back. They make some minor tweaks, and then they win two cups. So it, it seems like. As difficult as it is, you know, staying the course and running it back generally seems to be a better idea than kind of change your identity or your makeup overnight in response to maybe an unexpected loss. Yeah, you know, the the confounding thing for me, and I know that we want to get all your thoughts on everything, but based on everything you're saying, like, stay the course, that's what NHL teams typically do. Don't you think that if they spent two first-round picks at the trade deadline to bolster a team with with pure rentals, that that indicates a lot of belief in what was going on at the time? And then they just threw that all away in the offseason. I was just absolutely perplexed. I was stunned by that quick 180. And I guess it is an NHL thing, like you were saying. 
Well, I mean, I'm I'm not in the room. I I can't really say uh you know why, but again, it, it's things we've seen before, and it seems like um in in this kind of pressure cook environment, it's something that that happens to people, right? <laughs> I guess so. And uh, I would assume that Bill Zito's in an, a situation where there's not a lot of pressure under him. I mean, it's not a market where people are going to be grilling you for a two game losing streak necessarily. I mean, he's under a lot of heat right now, but that's because, you know, they don't have a first round pick and they're currently under NHL 500, which, you know, only about eight teams are under NHL 500 per year. So some things are going wrong, clearly. But maybe that just enables him to make sweeping changes and not be conservative, thinking that he's not necessarily going to be criticized for all of those moves um, and, you know, hasn't really worked out. But overall, Zito's tenure here has worked out because before they were totally irrelevant and now we're, we're treating like the playoffs like they're to they're expected and not getting in as a disaster rather than the usual yeah, I mean, like overall, this is still a good team with a good core. Uh, if if somehow tomorrow uh, they're able to upgrade on defense and maybe get one or two additional kind of either top six or top four type defensemen, like this could be a, a different team down the stretch. And again, like this team could beat, you know, a top seed in the first round as an underdog. Like I, like the, the problem I think with last year is, you know, first of all, the regular season was almost too good. Like they played really well in terms of creating offense and, you know, controlling the run of play, but they also just, they had really good shooting luck and it wasn't gonna, like, you can't really count on that long-term. And also the, the you know, a, a team that plays a possession style, um, you need to stick to your guns. And for a team that maybe is not used to having that, sustained success or you know winning a playoff round since you know what was it 2014 or something? no it was 96 96 yeah okay yeah crazy isn't yeah it? yeah so you know it, it's like not to say that this team kind of got tight and threw it away last year but but certainly in the playoffs there, there's amount of pressure and you need to really trust yourself and, and let yourself play this possession game with with skill and it takes a lot of mental toughness and it takes a lot of resilience to do that. And the way that you develop resilience and toughness is scar tissue, right? So, you know, if you take the same team from last year, you run it back, they're probably going to do better because, you know, they would, they would be more um, maybe acclimated to kind of executing the way that they like in a playoff setting. Then again, I say this and, you know, I worked in Toronto and the Leafs are running it back year year in, year out, and they're still not past the first round. And, you know, perhaps this year will be the year. But again, um, I think they wouldn't really be better off if they'd blown the whole thing up and started over. So. Yeah, I mean, you just listed off, all, I mean, yeah, you just listed off a whole laundry list of teams that, you know, stuck by it and eventually broke through. And in the case of Tampa, you essentially, you know, they're on a streak of three straight years with, making the cup finals two wins. I mean, Washington only got one win, but like that team is in the, up until the last year or two, they were in the second or third round almost every season. Like there's, there's something to be said for keeping it together 
you touched briefly on what you think would make this team better in terms of, you know, finding some defensemen who can skate. I think the three of us are in agreement that unless they can find another, you know, found money like Josh Mahura, they're really not going to be able to get anything because one, they don't have cap space and two, they don't have assets to trade unless they start trading from what they already have at the end on the NHL roster, which is going to be more of a shakeup. My, so my question for you is, tactically, what do you think the Panthers should change to try and make the best of this current roster? Because at least for 22-23, this is what they've got. Yeah. Um, it's. I think that the conventional uh, thought process is if you can't upgrade on D, then you got to find ways to minimize your exposure to, to, to the weaknesses. And the, the problem with that is, is that it kind of takes away from the games of Brandon Montour and Gus Forsling, because you like you've seen these two players struggle elsewhere that plays a more conventional or conservative system because they're not able to get up ice and they're not able to get get involved offensively and set their gaps early and defense skating forward. So, like they're they're kind of at at the risk of kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, um, but certainly I think, you know I. Th- I think it's about time to start dialing back the minutes of, of Mark Stahl, uh, for instance. Um, I think you know, we I, wanted his I, minutes dialed back since he signed. <laughs> I, I don't know what, what's going on with Ekblad. I mean, it's, it's probably a health thing if, if you're seeing him being less effective than, than he's used to. He's had a lot of injuries. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I again, uh, the, the easiest way to – to do it is to upgrade on personnel, but if you don't have the assets to upgrade on personnel and you know, like, like who's, who's your first call up on D like, is, is there, Matt is Kierstead. there Matt, Matt Kierstead. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's better than Mark Stahl. He's been better than Mark Stahl. Every Jack, time he's got an opportunity this year. I think we that's... need to mention here that Mark, Matt Kierstead has been on the show. <laughs> so we are. Yeah, okay, well, you know... Look, yes, I, I would definitely say that Matt Kirstead has more upside and is probably more worthy of getting some minutes than some other players who are playing in the league right now. How about that? Yeah. Okay, we, go. we can we can throw shade at Mark Stahl, but I guess you can't. <laughs> we don't want to get you in trouble, Jack. Uh, Mark Jack's Stahl's played more minutes. Mark Stahl. Yeah, this is fine. Mark Stahl's <laughs> played more minutes than most of the team. That's that's not that's not a good thing. That's Listen, a bad thing. He, he's just a placeholder for John Ludwig. Right? Hopefully. Yeah, John Ludwig. How, how's he doing? Uh, I think he's okay. I'll, I'll let you know when his legs work. Yeah, that's also an issue that he's uh, unfortunately suffering a lot of injuries. Oh yeah, yeah. That's injuries are a bitch. Can I say that? Yeah. yeah. No, no. You can you can curse all you absolutely, want. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean. No. We do it regularly, considering because no, Ludwig is. Um, I know you know in the previous regime, some of their their more analytically driven scouts are really high on Ludwig because he he had good point production. He's a good skater. He plays. I think he plays the game like a Florida Panthers defenseman ought to play it. Mm-hmm. So I, again, I think the health thing really explains it. But but I've been kind of looking for him to. I haven't I haven't seen him play much, but but I I was looking for him to break through and get some games in at some point. Yeah. And, and I guess it's just disappointing that the health hasn't allowed him to do that. Yeah, I yeah. mean, in his first full AHL season, he missed 
Well, I mean, it wasn't his first role in HL, AHL season because he had an injury at the very beginning, only got healthy for the final few games. And, you know, was just getting his first uh, pro season underway and already another major injury. So, unfortunately, that can often derail a career if you ever go up to somebody at the uh, the local dive bar. They say, oh, I could have been in the, the NHL, MLB, NFL, but, you know, all the injuries. And, and sometimes that's true, I guess. Do, yeah, do yeah, you know yeah. what, what the injuries are specifically? Oh, leg-related, if I remember right. Yeah, not, not off the top of my head, but... Yeah. Yeah, not like, to go like, full NHL lower body, upper body, but I'm pretty sure it was leg-related. Like, I'm, I, I'm not an expert by any means uh, in terms of injuries and rehab and all that stuff. Like, I've, I've had some injury troubles throughout my very modest athletic career, but it, it really does it really can derail your whole career because just, you know, one little thing can change the way that you move. And in a sport where, you know, moving explosively and with proper alignment and, you know, where where all that stuff is so important, just having, let's say uh, a nagging foot or ankle injury can lead to, you know, knee problems or hip problems or problems on the other side of your body or stuff like that. And, um, you know, one example is PK Subban, like, you know, you guys may not remember it, but the thing that really kind of um, accelerated Subban's decline was in his final game as a Montreal Canadian, uh, he he kind of got run into in the neck by his his D partner, uh, Alexi Emlin. And then, so he suffered a neck injury and he was never the same after that. So he had a couple of good years in Nashville, but you see how the more time went on, the stiffer he got and he wasn't able to rotate and, you know, create separation with the skating. And at the end of his career, like he just, he wasn't able to defend with the skating at all anymore. He was just reaching a lot and having to slew foot people. So, you know, for a defenseman who who's very mobile, you know, from the outset, it, it's really unfortunate to start having injuries and having things snowball. Yeah, just to clean it up, Ludwig had three games played last year, and so far this year he's played 13 of the Checkers' roughly 30-ish games they've played so far. So those injury troubles are back again this year. And that was, like 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 you said, it was a prospect you were high on. It's a prospect the analytically inclined people that used to be with the Panthers were high on. We were high on him. But sometimes players just don't make it because of injury. Actually, yeah. in, in in terms of injuries, I'll, I, I will add this, and, and this maybe will apply to Eggplat as well, but there, there's this kind of common, the common way of doing things when it comes to rehab or, or return to play is um, players return to play when they're pain-free, right? When they feel like they're good enough to go. But in reality, you know, if you're looking to run a program that, you know, helps players get healthy and perform at their at their potential long term is you're actually looking to do much more than that, which is if a player gets injured, you're looking to get him back at 105 or 110 percent of what they think, you know, they were before. Because um, a lot of times when you suffer an injury, especially a, a serious one, like whether it's a knee or a groin or an ankle, you know, you lose something that you're never quite going to get back. So the idea is, is you got to have growth in other areas and improvement in other areas just to come back and be as effective as you were before the injury. It's not the, it's not like coming back at 80 or 90% and feel just good enough to play because what, when, if you do it that way, then 
your injury issues are just going to snowball and you're going to lose effectiveness and maybe you're vulnerable to getting re-injured and then um, you start looking like a shell of your former self. That yeah, that does ring familiar. That does ring familiar. Like, it like sure does. And yeah. um, on occasion, it sounds familiar for more than one player on the Panthers. Yeah, but right now that that you you just described Aaron Ekblad like perfectly. You even mentioned the injuries. I'm not, I'm not sure if that was intentional, Jack, but like you just described Aaron Ekblad's season slash his prior injuries. Yeah. So I, I actually I I spent like three or four days um watching Ekblad train um at Daryl Belfry's camp. I I think this is like three or four years ago now, but he was there with Mike Matheson and Keith Yandel, who were both on the Panthers at the time. And I remember like, you know, we played a lot of small area games, like four on four games. And he was one of the players that looked maybe the least dominant and, and you know, we had 20 players that are like, you know, Pat Kane, Austin Matthews, Matt Barzell, like the, the who's who of, you know, Roman Yossi. Like if, if we ice, we try to ice that team, we would not be cap compliant. Like that's how many stars there were. And I would have put Eggblad kind of toward the bottom of the list in terms of just like his creativity and his skill. But the thing with Eggblad's game is just he's so physically dominant that he wins a lot of one-on-one battles. And if you get the puck kind of in his area, he's really good, whether it's shooting it, you know, through a goalie or, you know, winning the puck, getting a clear or, you know, uh, finishing his check or boxing out. Like he's the kind of player that is not really, doesn't really dominate with his movement. It's more like anything in his area, he's going to get to and clean up and do the right thing. And for that kind of player, you, you got to be careful because the more you, you kind of content yourself to, to playing that way, the kind of the smaller and smaller your area becomes because you can't cover anything kind of beyond that comfort zone. Like, does that kind of track with what you guys are seeing this year? Horrifyingly yeah. so. Yeah. Cause it's not like he's not boxing out near the net and guys are just like, you know, beating him to rebounds. Yeah, I mean, that happens to an extent because like, he's not catching up with them, but you get the idea. Yeah. yeah. So, so again, like, you know, every time that a player like that gets injured, like you're thinking, okay, well that, that comfort zone has just gotten a little bit smaller. So now we, we got to find something elsewhere to compensate for that. Yeah. Ekblad's not the only one that's struggled though. Uh, we've seen some of the forwards also really regress in terms of their scoring. And I think that some of it is probably like you said before, the shooting percentage was really high, but guys like Sam Reinhart, Sam Bennett, Anton Lundell offensively just haven't been the same players this year. Have you noticed anything when watching the Panthers or did you notice anything just like when you were preparing or when you've looked at stats this year that might indicate, Oh, this is why they're struggling or this is a sign of that, you know, things aren't going right for them right now. Well, I, I mean, even going back to last year, like the Panthers are the kind of team that just, they challenge you with how aggressive they are. And then they throw things at the wall till it sticks, metaphorically speaking. And this year it's just less of it is sticking. And then sometimes maybe because the D's aren't making as many plays or they're not recovering as well. Maybe the fours now they're getting a little bit more bashful or they're, they're hesitating a little bit more. And the other thing obviously is just last year, they were really hot. They, they, they shot out the lights and this year they just haven't done that. Like, it's just one of those things where, you know, last year they they shot what uh you know they had to 
have shot like 11, 12% as a team and, and it, it's not really sustainable, right? Not generally, but uh, Seattle Kraken, maybe they'll, maybe they'll do it because I think their shooting percentage is somewhere around there this year. Well, every year there's one team. You, you can't count on yourself being that team, unfortunately. Well, right now, actually, Buffalo has the highest shooting percentage. They're at 12.3. Well, yeah, which, uh, Tage Tom. Yeah. <laughs> every shot from him is like three from a normal forward in terms of effectiveness. And he also gets like eight shots a game. So good luck with that if you're playing against him. Um, looks like the Panthers shot 11% last year, which is only actually fourth. Yeah. St. Louis shot 12.4%. So uh, no wonder they're struggling this year. I mean, you can definitely copy paste a lot of what you're saying about the the shooting out the lights, not really applying year over year. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just the fact of life at the NHL level where, you know, by and large, there's good parity. You know, St. Louis is, they're a little bit more choosy in terms of what opportunities they shoot on. They got, they're more past and, than throwing on net. Um, but again, it's, you know, if you, if you shoot 12% one year, it's unlikely that you're going to repeat that. Um, but certainly Florida last year, I think was a big outlier because if you, I think from the red line in toward the, the offensive zone, I, I don't really see a ton of difference, uh, especially when Florida has the puck, but when they don't have the puck, I think things tend to the snowball a little bit more quickly, you know, in a negative sense. So we are very quickly approaching the halfway point of the season. Uh, so just to wrap things up here, Jack, how, how do the Panthers turn this around right now? They are, I believe fourth bottom in the Eastern conference. How do they turn this around and recover their season and manage to sneak into a playoff spot? Well, the, the first thing is I I go bargain hunting for, for some defensemen, especially guys who can skate and who can get up into play. Um, Any names? You know, I I mean, you know, Jacob Chikrin's probably unattainable just because of the, the asset package the that was tag, required. Yeah. But, you know, if you can find a Gus Forsling or a Josh Mahura or Brandon Montour, you know, like th this front office has shown that they can find undervalued defensemen. So just find a couple more, right? Whether it's, you know, a guy that another team sees as more of a kind of an AHL bubble player, whether it's, you know, uh, maybe maybe a guy from Europe this offseason, uh, maybe a college free agent or I don't know, but but they, they just got to find some more bodies and then, you know, there is an opportunity to rotate players in and out as this team falls out of contention. And and, and I think it, it's a good time to build up some information for next season in terms of trying to keep the score together and then give them, you know, more complementary pieces to, uh, to, to give them a few more shots at this. So, so Bill, if you're listening, there you go. That's what you got to do. And, <laughs> and, and as I discussed, the other thing is I think, with the core of this team getting older and, and getting more injury prone, whether it's Ekblad or, or Barkov or, you know, Kachuk, you know, a lot of these players, they, you know, they play a hard style. They, they put a lot of wear and tear on their bodies. Um, I, I just think in general, NHL teams, you can invest too much when it comes to, 
you know, player health and return to play, and especially the skill aspect of return to play, where, you know, if you have a hip injury, you're going to move differently. So either we get you back moving the way that you did before, and or we find some maybe some technical or some tactical additions to your games that allows you to maybe evolve and and stay relevant and stay competitive. So so I think for a team that's kind of with a mature core and that's, you know, theoretically in a contention window, you got to have the medical side and the return to play side in, in place because, you know, if you win a lot of playoff games, which hopefully you will, you're going to have lots of injuries. You're going to have lots of call-ups. Like having that depth and having that um, – that in-house know-how of getting players back into action is, is really important. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked about a lot of that stuff all year, so it's good to, good to feel like we're on the right track. So Jack, I know that you're working on a lot of things right now, some of which aren't necessarily like for public consumption. Like I, I, I doubt there's many listeners to this that necessarily could use your private coaching, but you do do a lot of work for public consumption so why don't you tell us all about that and uh, some of the stuff that our listeners would appreciate, especially appreciate. So uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter, J-H-A-N-H-K-Y. You can also sign up for my Hockey Tactics newsletter, which gives you a, a lot of insights uh, on kind of, you know, the behind the scenes of pro hockey and how players get better. So follow me on Twitter and then you can find all my stuff um, by, by looking me up there. Yeah, guys, I cannot recommend Jack Ham stuff enough. Like every time I read one of his tweets or one of the articles he puts out, um, I feel like I learned a lot more about the game of hockey. If you're interested in tactics, player improvement, all that, you need to be following Jack Ham on Twitter. And, you know, if you want even more information, you know, subscribe to his Substack because he is one of the brightest hockey minds out there that is available for public consumption. Yeah, I also and- should mention he's got a great T-shirt on. Oh, thank you. I love yes. the Sriracha t-shirt. The the Sriracha, like it's in short supply in Canada for, I think they've had some complaints about like the, the fumes that, that they create. It, it, it's a town in California that makes these, uh, yeah. that make hot sauce. And, but, but what the, the last thing I would add is um, perhaps a lot of the newer fans, they come from whether it's soccer, whether it's basketball, whether it's football. And, and I think there's a universality to sports that, you mm-hmm. know, when yeah, you come absolutely. into hockey, it, it could seem quite daunting. Uh, but, you know, if you play or if you know soccer or basketball or football or, or any or tennis or any other sport, you um, you know stuff. And, and so my job is really to connect what you know already with what's going on. And, and I think it, it will help you enjoy the game a lot more. I can definitely co-sign all that. So, Jack, we'll get you out of our hair or – We'll get out of your hair more accurately. <laughs> I forget how that. I forgot how the idiom worked. You know, the, the Czech have tied it up. They're going to overtime. It's two two right Ooh. now. I was going to mention that. I was like, it, it, yeah. during the process of this interview, Canada has blown the two nothing lead, which uh, I'm still bitter about that goal interference from last night, which was an awful call. And uh, so, <laughs> well, it was, it was a, like a six to two loss. So I mean, would have made it six to three. No, it would have been three three. I mean, if it makes you if it makes you happier, it's two of the cheesiest goals I've ever seen to to tie a game. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that second that. one was really bad. Uh, I'm, I'm a goal. I'm a former goalie. That second one, I just felt so bad for Canada's goalie. Like, yeah. there's nothing you can do there. All right. Okay, so so let's let's watch some kids cry and and tune into that game. <laughs> <laughs> Thank go, you so go much. Go checks because they got Thank more you, Jack. prospects. Thank you, Jack. All right. See ya.
Take care, guys. Thanks, Jack. Bye. Message and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203.